There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 125. Hey, the Nerdist TV show, a podcast TV show. Well, it's a TV show from the podcast. It's like the podcast, but snazzier. Anyway, it's this Saturday, September 24th, right after Doctor Who. Um, it's 10 p.m. on the East Coast, 7 p.m. on some West Coast uh, carriers. But anyway, it's on right after Doctor Who. So whatever that is in whatever city you live in, we'll be on right after that. Uh, very excited because Matt Smith, the Doctor, will be on the show along with Craig Ferguson. Those are our two guests. And uh, it's fun. So please watch that on BBC America. Uh, also, we have a bunch of live dates coming up. We're taking the podcast out on the road. So go to Nerdist.com to see uh, those dates. Uh, there are places like New York, Portland, uh, Massachusetts, um, D.C. So look on there and get tickets to those and come out and say hi to us. And then we can all hug you. All right. So this episode, very excited to have Tom Wilson on. Uh, love Tom. Super great guy. Really talented. Uh, great actor. Super funny guy. Comedian. Great artist. And I am proud to announce he actually mentions at the end of our episode that he has started a podcast called Big Pop Fun, which he has not put out into the world yet. Uh, and we will be doing that for him. So the Nerdist Podcast Network will be putting out Tom Wilson's Big Pop Fun, which I'm super excited about. So that's my big announcement up top. And as far as this episode, uh, I can sincerely say it was one of my favorites. I, I really loved talking to Tom. He's a super nice, but very... Uh, just thoughtful guy and yeah i mean you know it's fun to talk about the back to the future stuff but but i was super super excited to hear about like the early days of the comedy store and what it was like in the pre-comedy boom and shit that went down with him and kinnison and that stuff was so amazing to me and and uh, tom was just such a wonderful guy so uh, i think you will enjoy this episode the nerdist podcast number 125 with tom wilson to tom wilson it's hard to do these uh, morning show radio effects with my just my voice in real time. Ta-ta time! See? Now entering Nerdist.com What happened when you were at NASA? Uh, you walk by the press area, and the CNN had this massive two-tier booth with, like, uh, you know, a nice desk and four cameras on a panel of, like, four people. Then you look down to the left, and there was the NPR table, which was a fold-up picnic table with a small TV and a sign that, in Sharpie, read NPR. <laughs> that, that is a very NPR-style yeah. table. It was, uh, it was like an old-timey TV, too, right? It was cute. It was a tube television. 
Yeah, but I think it was color. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, Tom Wilson, thank hey. you for coming to our podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good for you. I'm so glad that you're here. Can I can I begin uh, by throwing down a gauntlet? Please, Whoa. gauntlet away. I throw down a gauntlet uh, to the Nerds podcast. Should we, should we move back a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Maybe give you should. some room. Maybe you should when you hear what I'm going to say. Okay, I'm uh, back now. I'm the biggest nerd that's ever been on the Nerds podcast. What Whoa. the hell? Thank you. Let me back it up. Oh All right. shit. Okay. All right. okay. Oh Jonah, shit. I've got, a, I've got a long. I've got a long checklist. Okay. 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 <laughs> pe- okay. Um, my debate partner in high school. Was, <laughs> he wins. He was, wins. Was David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, oh my who God. just spoke extensively about me in his book TV episode <laughs> on C-SPAN. <laughs> Thank wow. you. I got one trophy when I was in high school. It was in the tenth grade. It was for the oral interpretation of prose, in which I read from the Russian poet Yevgeny Yevtushenko's piece Babi Yar. Of course. And a short story by Stanley Elkin called A Poetics for Bullies. Thank you. In 1975, I, I and my teammates on the Rodner High School Model UN team won the national championship. Thank you. I'm a member of the Tubists Universal Brotherhood (laughs) Association, the TUBA, an international brotherhood of tuba players, and I have asthma. Oh, that's take it. Come on, take it. That is Real. the that that's that that was like the INDB, the uh, Internet that's right, Nerd Database. N- that's the, that's the Nerd stuff. MDB. All right, that's all right, all right. Stuff. Okay, it's all backed up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I got my first. I got my first computer in 1981. Um, I won the 1984 Memphis Junior High uh, Chess Tournament. Uh, I went to computer camp. I was in debate club in high school. I was president of the Latin club and went. Uh, w- and in addition to going uh, and playing chess tournaments in other cities, uh, went to a Latin convention in the mountains in Colorado at this weird, like haunted YMCA facility that. Looks like it was right near where they shot some a footage. A Latin convention? It was a Latin convention. Okay, Latin convention is good. <laughs> I will only share my we space had to, on the metal stand with you. We had to we had to uh we had to orate in, in Latin. Wow. Uh it was pretty fucking nerdy. It was pretty but I don't know. Yours are pretty good. All right, though. I got Oral it. I got interpretation it. of prose, baby. Yevgeny <laughs> Growing up, growing up, I Pardon and got laid. So I'm sorry. I guess what? I, uh, yeah, I guess I lose. Oh. I guess I lose. Loser. Your virginity. Yeah, yeah. Loser. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember any of the Russian? Buddy. Do you remember any of the Rus- Russian prose? I, I remember none of it. I remember yeah. the beginning of uh, the short story "A Poetics for Bullies" by Stanley Elkin. Okay, which was. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm Push, the bully. And what I hate are new kids and sissies, dumb kids and smart, rich kids, poor kids, kids who pass pencils, water the plants, and cripples. Especially cripples. <laughs> One time I was pushing this red-haired kid. I'm a pusher. No hitter, no belter, an aggressor of marginal violence. And his mother stuck out her... Well, it goes on, but it was a piece about... Uh, the Stanley Elkin story about uh, a bully in school and everything. So... I'm reading this thing along with Babby Yar, and one of the judges, I was like the president of the debate team, you know, model you in the whole bit. And one of the judges, after the thing, they they could give you feedback, you know, one of the teaching judges. So I do this whole uh, short story. The judge goes, you know, you'd make a good bully. (laughs) I was, I swear to you, I was so insulted by that, that I didn't speak with the guy again through the entire tournament. Wow. Yeah. Because I'd been so pummeled by guys, you know, my whole life. But you're such a tall dude. You're such a big guy. I'm just an accidental big guy. 
a- accidentally large. So you're you're a small you know, nerdy kid inside I, a big I, man. I am, yeah, nerdzilla. You're Open <laughs> a door in my chest. There's a small guy in a sweater vest just running, down driving all the stuff. Oh, Turn to the, the left, cranks. giant body. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I was that kid who just grew late, and then you know bones are cracking and everything, and you. <laughs> Mom, what's happening to me? <laughs> and then you just look at this body going, yeah, they will pay who talks to me. <laughs> you know, but that's only like 11th and 12th grade, maybe. 11th grade, I was growing a lot. We had you on, you were on Barnyard and you played a, uh, you played a murderous duck bully named Krauser Krebs. Yeah. And, uh, and and he and but I love what I loved about the characters. He was this tiny little adorable duck, and everyone's like, "Who's that?" And then tornado of punches. Sure. Do you feel like? <laughs> do you feel like at the heart of it, there's a tiny little duck inside you, Tom Wilson? There is a tiny little duck uh, inside all of us, <laughs> and I've written a poem about it. Oh, oh no, yeah. in Russian. It's in Russian. In yeah. Russian. Uh, of course there is. Of course there is. Most of the yeah, a- absolutely. Well, how'd you get into the? How did you get into the acting and, and- uh, the the head of the uh, the theater department in my high school also ran the debate and forensics team. Oh, so I was. Uh, <laughs> Lifetime member of the National Forensics League. Thank so you're, you're <laughs> still in it. Yeah. Oh, you're I'm still, still in it. it. I'm still in it. What they do you have to do to get kicked out, out of that? No, you can't. You, you can't. have tenure. Yeah. You no. cannot you can't. get kicked out. dare you. So he, um, I, was, uh, I was a very sick kid. Uh, so I, I missed a lot of school. I had asthma. I was in the hospital all the time. So, you know, I was having a hard time. I was a, a misfit nerd kid. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the head of... Uh, as I said, the head of the theater department was also in the debate team. He says, I, I'd like you to uh, audition for a play. And now at that point, I thought, well, just that's fine and everything. But plays are for weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> plays are for the weird artsy kids. And I am artsy. I like it. I like art. I like, I like all that stuff. I don't stuff, have time to I'm, do that while I'm debating through my asthma right, attacks. Yeah. Right. But I'm not going to hang out with those artsy kids at the lunch tables because that's a pretty wild scene. Yeah. Anyway. So I auditioned for plays, and I got the lead in, like, every play my senior year. And, of course, I totally, you know, I totally took to it and was like, dude, I'm, I'm acting. And everything. Yeah. Wow. But, but I was still, I, it was in Pennsylvania, so I was still, uh, you know, my dad was a lawyer and everything, and I was still on that track where, well, that's a lot of fun and all the <laughs> arts things I do, but you have to, you know, have yourself fitted for a tie. Yes. <laughs> Just whatever. Have a little alligator tattoo. Son, I've on had my business chest. cards yeah. made for you. Yeah, exactly. So I so I did that for a while. But you know, once you once you get the bug and everything, you just I just had to do it. Actors don't have business cards. The ones who do, it's like have you ever seen little business cards where they get the little headshot on it? And, and under their name it says <laughs> Sag, Sag after. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, kids, <laughs> but you're supposed to act like. Well, of course, I'm in the union. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. a given. You're gonna ask me if I'm in the actors union. I mean, yeah. the town. I guess I'm in the wrong place. You don't Why think don't I, I go to some pros? I'm not a big fan of comics with uh, uh, business cards either. Yeah, no. Because it's like, especially when they try and make them funny looking. Right. Uh, like I saw a guy um, who had one that said, oh, "Raiders of the Last Laugh." And it was, uh, you know, you know Raised with the Lost Ark. Thing. Or the I business card with the tragic and comic mask. <laughs> yes. Oh, he I does both. You do drama. Yeah. And Mike Furman had cards that just said Mike Furman business card owner. I always thought that was a fun. That was good. That was, that was a was fun funny. meta. That's good. That was a fun meta way to go about it. Um, uh, but you are also a phenomenal artist. Phenomenal artist. I've seen your because we have the same manager, and he. I've I saw the piece that that you gave him. Which you, it was the truck, right? You gave mm-hmm. him the Tonka truck. Yeah, and you paint um, you paint pop culture uh, uh, toys. Yeah, it's sort of classical realism. So it's an actual um, 
a painting of the thing, of the object. They're gorgeous. Uh, heroically lit. So Alex and I, our manager, had a conversation about some some toy that he liked when he was a kid. Because he was talking about the paintings. Oh, I love those. I had a Tonka truck that I never was away from. I used to push this in my living room. So I did a pretty big painting for him of a big yellow Tonka truck. Yeah. Which, um, which it always... It's oddly moving to everyone, you know, when you do something like that, because it's, it just strikes something within them. Well, not only that, it's, but it's the rosebud of everyone, you know. Yeah, you I know, but, but what's so nice about it is that we're, we're in a culture where, it, you know, acknowledging people is generally through an email or a text, which requires little to no effort. Uh, and that's kind of what we put. So if you handwrite someone a letter, they freak out. If you paint someone something from their childhood to a, a realistic degree, that's uh, that's mind bending in our culture today. That's incredible. But I like doing it. So I do it. I love <laughs> the, uh, the there was also a ray gun like the, the, the ray gun. Yeah, I, I did was a really lot awesome. of I did a um, Nickelodeon Studios um, where I, I've done a lot of voiceover work has a gallery space which is for the artists that work on their shows. Mm -hmm. So a couple of the producers there said, well, you're a painter. Why don't you, you, why don't you submit to actually take over the gallery space? And I thought, I I'm acting in the show. So I'm the first person that got a solo show uh, at Nickelodeon uh, headquarters of my painting. So I did about wow. 50. But once, the, you know, I had, you had 10 or 12. They're pretty big paintings mm -hmm. of, of toys or a Hot Wheels car going through a loop-the-loop yep. or big big painting. A Viewmaster, mm -hmm. just like a five foot by five foot painting of just a Viewmaster, and uh, and so they say, well, these are great, Tom. We would love to have a solo exhibition of your work. We'll need like fifty paintings. <laughs> what? How long does that take? It took it took a long time. It took a really long time and a lot of really late nights. But uh, but it was really, I mean, it was unbelievably satisfying. And from that, I I pitched ideas to Disney because Disneyland was going through their 50th anniversary. Um, so they were having this Disney feature artist thing where all the big Disney artists or painters from around the world were doing Disney stuff. And I mean, I, I just went in there and pitched my thing, which was every, every artist was pitching, Hey, we'll have Donald Duck and all the characters and Mickey Mouse, and they're all on each other's shoulders. <laughs> and they're in a car, and they're, ooh, you know. Yeah. I was the only one who pitched, why don't I do a gigantic painting of the ride vehicle from Dumbo? Like, oh, it wow. It is Dumbo, but it's plastic with a gigantic hole in his side yep. and a safety bar and a big red steel thing coming out of its side that goes to the hub where Dumbo is. And they just went, well, nobody's ever said that i go well what you know disney <laughs> objects the 45 record of the song it's a small world oh that's, that's awesome cool. so yeah. that kind of stuff so i you know i totally didn't deserve it but i got accepted into this disney thing and had a solo exhibition of paintings at disneyland oh wow and uh, california oh, at the, adventure at the disney studio at the disney gallery wow that's awesome yeah so yeah. that was that was pretty cool that's amazing. And so you still do you have a gallery now that you have all your work well yeah i do want to i i i it broke my heart a couple of years ago. Alex said there was a gallery fire and you lost a bunch of, lost paintings, a lot of paintings. And that fu and I didn't really know you that well back then. Well, I actually I don't really know you that well now, but I really didn't know you back then. And I it I it, I folded up inside because I just I know it's like losing a comedy notebook or just like something that you can't recreate. It I mean, you can, a, but at least I figure a year and a half of really hard uh, work that just in a fire was gone. What a lot of what great happened? Paintings. Uh, the restaurant next door. 
just caught fire. <laughs> we don't know what happened. They weren't doing very well. Business and was bad at the restaurant next door, and it was consumed by a fire, which unfortunately damaged uh, the entire gallery that a lot of my paintings were in. Oh, so no. It was down in Manhattan Beach, California, and I, I wasn't there to see it, but everyone told me, hey, you've got to know that when they were bringing out your charred, ruined paintings, the entire surrounding crowd was going, oh! <laughs> Makes me feel better. Oh no! So, a comic's favorite reaction. Yeah, a friend of mine who lives down that way. I'm up in the valley here, but a friend who lives in Manhattan Beach um, just saw it and thought it was like a half a block away. So he calls me and absolutely says, uh, "Yeah, looks like all your paintings are burning to the ground. So maybe get the insurance." You know, he calls back in a half an hour. Oh my God! I am so sorry. I please, please forgive me. I thought it was like the next block down. Uh, so that was pretty tough. Do you even? Uh, can you even get mad at that, or is it like, well, that's just fucking I was really, ridiculous? I was, um, I was surprised at the extent to which I was ruined by it. You know, at the extent to which the wind was taken out of my sails uh, from doing that. There were a lot of really uh, uh, paintings that took a lot. Uh, a lot of work to do. And they were, and, you know, we, we need to, I guess, get to our thing, which is the, the reason for the paintings, the underlying reason for the paintings that I was doing of the toys so heroically lit was they were all objects of popular culture like me. Uh-huh. So in a sense, yeah. each of them was a self-portrait. Oh, that's, that's, ins- that's genius. Wow. So each of them, when I made a gigantic, I made an eight-foot-long painting of a Tonka toy fire truck that was just gorgeous. And people would look at that painting and say, Hey, the fire truck, I got this on Christmas. My dad bought me this. It was the same experience of when they say me who painting it painted it, and they say, Hey, you're the guy from that movie. <laughs> you're like I that saw truck. that in a drive-in with my dad in 19... 19- I got to tell you this story because my parents were having... You know, so it's the same, uh, the same experience and the same... I just liked the fact... I was playing on the fact that no matter who bought the paintings, and a lot of people bought them and, and they're up in living rooms, that they couldn't not say... And you know who painted it? <laughs> that, is a, that is a super meta art. Right. The, uh, so art it's kind of a labyrinthine fugue of pop yeah. that I was doing with, with these paintings specifically. So when a lot of them burnt, it, it really uh, hurt badly. But, uh, you know, I tried that. I tried um, coming back. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to repaint five of them that I like. Yep. And I'm going to keep going. And I painted about two of them. And I just, I, I can't. It's I can't hard to it. go back. I it's can't. hard go to back. go backwards. Like once you, once you uh, put a lot of effort into one thing and then it gets destroyed, you just like for whatever reason at that moment in time that that's what was expressed. Right. And it's so hard to force that to happen right. again. So uh, that was my statement of I get the whole pop objectification. I'm playing on it. This is my own little artistic joke on it. Uh, you know, thank you. Good night. Wow. wow. Like the comedian from The Watchmen. <laughs> um, and, well, now that I didn't, that was an accidental segue. Uh, when did you start doing stand up? I started doing stand up in 1979. Holy shit. I was, uh, I was studying acting and I was doing theater and I was doing kind of improvisation and that kind of stuff. And a couple of my friends did stand up. 
And uh, again, you know, I was the young acting student. I was like 19 years old, looking down my nose at everything because I was going to single-handedly save the American theater. Yes. If I did anything. Yes. You know, I was whatever. Young Marlon Brando or whoever, studying hard and New York City. I'm gritty, actually. I was from the suburbs of Philadelphia. But, <laughs> but you uh, had that debate team moxie. I had yeah. debate team moxie, buddy. <laughs> and I could go into... Russian poetry at any moment. <laughs> um, but a couple of my friends did stand-up, and I started hanging out with them. And honestly, the beginning of my stand-up career was, they, get, they give you guys food? <laughs> <laughs> Survival. Right. It was totally like, what, you get a cheeseburger after this? Yeah, sometimes they give you, you know, 10 bucks for the train or so. You, they give you money <laughs> at the end of it? Because I'm doing stuff that, believe me, is for free. Yeah. You know, I pay for my food, and they don't pay you at the end of mine. You get 10 bucks and a cheeseburger? Well, I'll goof off on stage in that way. Yeah. And so uh, I started just experimenting on stage alone, doing stuff. And then it was so early. It was so pre-comedy boom that you would just get, like, $15 gigs at a party somewhere at a restaurant some guy even I, I didn't consider myself a comedian but some guy calls you and goes we we got to go to new jersey you know i need three guys i can't find anybody it's 15 dollars, and they got food there and I, i'm you know I'm, I'm not a comedian i just well i don't care man but i don't care just come and waste like seven minutes of time <laughs> on stage and introduce me and uh, all right that's a great sure. deal to a teenage kid exactly huh? yeah. so you just sure i'll go so um yeah with uh, duct tape and chicken wire and a notebook. I just started said, well, what? Uh, okay, what would I think would be funny if I was on stage? And just started writing and, and doing stand up. Wow! And then and when was it when you kind of decided like, oh wait, I think maybe I'm actually a stand up now. I was a I was a very bad stand up for a while um, because of because like everybody, I was I was just sort of doing impression of what I thought a stand up comedian might act like mm -hmm. or be like, and I had actually. You know, trained in theater. I mean, I took a lot of classes and I went to, you know, went to a lot of, a lot of school for, for acting in theater. And I thought, wait a minute, it's just a play. I'm just, it's my own play. Mm -hmm. I'm a character in a play. It is a piece of theater. Oh, that's an interesting and, approach. Yeah. And so for whatever, however many minutes I have, that's how long the play is. So it's not depressed Tom or desperate Tom or any kind of Tom. It is on stage Tom in my play, which is my show. And I'll tell you, I, the day I did that, I, I got good fast. Cause I you, got good fast. Well, because I always, you know, I always used to think, like, well, you know, when you're trying to find your voice in comedy, which always takes fucking forever, uh, you know, there was a certain point where I was like, okay, maybe I should write for the character of me, whoever that is. But then, the, you know, the, the more you think it's this other thing, it's a very bizarre experience when you realize that one day, like, oh, no, no, it's just me. It's just me. It is just you. But but it's, you know, of course, it's uh, it's an enhanced version of you. Yeah, of course. It's on stage you. Yeah. Because that's all we have, ultimately. Mm -hmm. People will always, I think, see an impression of a comic on they stage. They do, but, yeah. I, I, but I almost feel like that, you know, during your sort of comedy journey, you're watching the two paths of the onstage character of you and the person who is actually you get closer and closer. And it's kind of that, that, that day when they meet, I think, is when you become... Like a master comedian. That's oh, my that's theory about it. I think it. that's very true. Very true. That I had, it took a long time for me. It took a long time in my adult life just to get used to the fa fact of being physically large. Mm -hmm. Just, I was really, I mean, it, we joke about having the inner duck or whatever, but 
yeah, I was a kid who was beaten up by everybody. And then I just got big and I was doing comedian. I was out at nightclubs and doing it, it took a long time just to get used to, well, when people say things or when guys push people around, I, I don't have to take that. Or, you know, I can say, like, no, I disagree. You shouldn't talk like that. And then they go, oh, OK. Um, what a great experience to go from a nerdy kid to a big dude and just watch the way people just to watch other human animals treat you differently. And, and when I got big, for example, I have a loud voice. You know, my chest is big and I just speak. Um, I speak clearly with diction and 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 uh, loudly, and for until I was in my thirties, I would be embarrassed because people would go like, "Hey, man, which, why why are you shouting? We're standing right here, or whatever." And it was just me using my normal voice. You should have punched that, you know? and then that's when you get mad, <laughs> right? And the, you know, or whatever. I'm just standing in a place. And okay, I'm taller than the three guys, and they're going, "Why don't you? Why don't you shrink down or something? Why don't you exhale, chest man?" I'm mm -hmm. I'm just standing here. I'm allowed to stand. So, I swear, in my 30s, I really, <laughs> on stage, it was sort of like, "Look, this is how big I am." Okay, <laughs> I'm a large caliber human being. When I t when I laugh at a restaurant, yes, everyone looks at me because I'm bigger than you. Too bad. <laughs> you don't like it. Don't look at me anymore. Now, did you get big because you made a wish in a fortune telling machine I, at a pier? Is I that did. what happened? Yeah. I did. And you just woke up I giant a in a bunk bed. Piano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the wrong no. Tom. That's yeah. it. Wait, what? You got the other. Your Hanks in your head. Oh uh. shit. Um, well, I you know I don't know I don't know how much you want to talk about Back to the Future. I, I don't want to talk about it as much as you want. Well, Chris. I just don't want to bug you. But listen, I it, to a smaller degree, people still ask me if I fuck Jenny McCarthy from 1995, and it's it's you know, and I always just kind of like ah, oh, you know, I always play along. I'm like no, you know, I don't, you know, and they always say it with this enthusiasm of, I'll bet I'm the first person to ever ask this right. question. I'm always like okay, okay, uh, and I, I was compl I was shooting. Um, I did, an, I did an episode of Mad TV in the 90s, and uh, and Barry Williams was on that episode, and we were having a conversation, and, and he played Greg Brady. And so this sort of came out. I was like, yeah, people always ask me about this. And then his eyes kind of glazed over, and he listed like 10 answers that he's always had to, you know, no, the dog ran away. No, we were just friends. No, Alice did this. No, Cousin Oliver came from blah, 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 you know. And... And then I was like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I mean, that's, you know, he's been dealing with this for 30 oh, so that's years. that's how he does it. He literally lists them off right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? It's I mean, a, he, just, he just bang, bang, yeah. bang, 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 bang. Here's, uh, here's the FAQ yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was. It was an FAQ. It was the Barry Williams FAQ. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how, how did you, was it, was it just an audition? Did, they, did someone see you do stand-up? Is that how they got you involved with the movie? Um, it was just an audition. Just an audition. I, yeah. I had, previously to that, I had uh, acted in big things like... Uh, Night Rider. Nice. You know, yeah. <laughs> that was very big to me. The Pirates of Life. Yes. Yes. I was Moose, the football player. You, oh my God. You're not spending that money on on scholarships. <laughs> We need a new scoreboard for the football team. And, and then you're then, like, I've made, you know, a few years ago, I was a wimpy kid getting pushed around with asthma. Now here I am acting with Nancy McKeon. That's right. Nancy McKeon and I got into a fight. What? On, not, not for real. Oh. Just Joe. Yeah, because Joe, Joe was tough. And Moose. Yeah. 
Joe and Moose got into a fight. And, and Joe Keenan and I got along very fast. Joe, Joe probably won because she was a tough kid, right? And it's her show. Yeah, and it was her show. <laughs> too. I wasn't coming back the next week, so I lose. <laughs> was that, I lose. Was that weird, though? Like, uh, kind of hating jocks and bullies and then becoming a guy that just played a nothing weird but? Weird social experiment. Yeah. In, the, uh, in the first audition for Back to the Future, they pair up. They they paired up actors. I mean, I had I had gone to to audition, um, and my agent got me in there. Whatever you have to see this guy, and I was put on the spot. The casting director. I come in. I'm a young guy, and uh, she says, "Well, you're supposed to be God's gift to acting. Let's uh, let's oh. see what the this. fuck is that about? Exactly, exactly. So I'm like, well, okay. So I go through the scene, and she says. Um, let me bring Mike in here, you know, whatever. And he comes in, whatever. I get called back. As soon as they started thinking about casting, they started to pair us up with people. Mm -hmm. The first person I was paired up with was Crispin Glover. (laughs) So, you know, Bob does it with Tony, and this guy does it with that one, and Tom and Crispin uh, go off and you audition together. So we take the, uh, they had written, it was even secret then, they had written special audition material for us. There okay. was two or three pages to do with each other. So um, th- this is to your point mm-hmm. of the nerd kid who's playing a bully. Right. Um, so we go out, hey, do you want to rehearse? Let's go outside. Everyone else is staying inside just waiting. Let- let's go out you know, behind the bushes over here, and we'll just kind of rehearse and run it. Um, so the scene began with me. So we said, okay, let's run it. So I'm reading the scene. McFly, have you done my homework? And he just, he didn't even speak. His body changed into this frail question mark. And he looked at me like, well, babe, I, I just, and I stopped the scene because I almost started crying. Oh my God. Because you, 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 because you, because it was I was com- staring at myself. Oh my God. Oh. So I stopped. Wow. That's weird. And he's like, what, what's, um, you know, that clear your head. I'm an, an audit. <clears throat> everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Let's do it again. Do it again. I mean, fly. So I, I got into it, but it was hard to do initially. It was oh, really hard to do. Wow. That's so amazing. Crispin and I went through the entire audition process as guys would be paired and they changed him with them. Okay, Tony, now you do it with Todd. Todd and Tony, you do it together. Crispin and, and Crispin and Tom. And these guys all switch and Crispin and Tom. So through the entire process, we were kind of staying together. And it was a long process because Bob Zemeckis does a lot of, he wants to really cast the right people. Mm-hmm. So they made me up in old age makeup, mm-hmm. like all kinds of things. I wasn't even getting paid, but they're like, Tom, would you come in for like a most of a day and we'll make you up in old age makeup and then you audition as the older character? So, okay. No, I got to go do stand up in Jersey for a sandwich. Exactly. So now they just put you in a motion capture suit. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did a, a lot of auditions like that. And then uh, and then I got it. Wow. Then I got it. Yeah. Did you start? Did, did you so did you start the film with Eric Stoltz or did that? Was oh, that I a, shot with Eric Stoltz for six or seven weeks. You I mean, did. We, oh, yeah. We shot for we shot almost the whole movie. I mean, we were pretty much done. We were at the point where you're looking at each other like, so you got anything lined up after this? Any uh, TV shows or whatever? And then, and then, um, and then things were difficult on the set. Eric was, it was, uh, it was not easy. Uh, he was doing the, a very methody thing. You know, everybody call me Marty. Okay. Except Leah, who's playing my mom, who I'm trying to make out with, right. you know, off camera. Uh, okay. <laughs> method, uh, method, yeah, method, method, uh, method, hot chick, no method. Yeah. Uh, so 
you know, he was doing all that stuff, and it was it was it was uh, kind of difficult. I didn't, and of course. This is my first big movie. I mean, before that, I was killed in a kung fu movie, and I was on The Facts of Life and Knight Rider. Right. So I'm on this movie, and of course, I think, oh, it's me. You know, it's got to be me. Everyone is talking about Uh, me behind my back or something, or I'm doing a bad job. There was a tension in the air. Something wasn't right. So then they actually, uh, they stopped production. We're not working today. We're not working today. Oh, shit. Are they closing the movie down or whatever? And there's No, we're not closing the movie down. We're just not working today. Okay, so I'm at home. I get a phone call from Bob Gale, the producer of the movie. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tom, listen. Uh, could you come down to the studio? We'd like to talk to you. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. I do, oh, uh, uh, and I was totally, uh, listen, Bob, uh, could you just tell me right now? <laughs> could you just tell me over the phone, man? Because I'd really, I'd like to hear whatever you have to say right now. That'd be great. We'd really like to talk to you in person. Jesus. Oh. So if you could come down right now, uh, Bob Zemeckis and I would like to meet with you. So I take the longest drive oh, of my God. life, and I'm doing all, I mean, I'm shaking, and I'm saying, listen, Tom, you stay, stay cool. When they fire, you stand up like a gentleman, like oh, a gentleman, and you God. shake their hand, and you, well, I thank you for the opportunity. I'm sorry it didn't work out. And then, you know, Alaskan fishing boat or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to go by that time <laughs> my dad wants me to get. Back to law school, exactly, and we'll quit, and no one will ever see us again, and everything will be fine. So uh, I go into his office, uh, Bob Gale's office, and then Crispin comes in. So, so my the Rubik's cube in my brain is just going crazy now. Turning, they're, so they're not stopping it. I guess I'm. Are Crispin and I are fired. That's so <laughs> fucked up. They couldn't at least say, "Listen, you're fine, yeah. but we just need to talk to you." Right, right. So they uh, sit Crispin down and t- tell us pretty gravely, you know, listen, fellas, uh, we just wanted to say this thing is going fantastically. You know, you guys are spectacular. The movie is unbelievable. But the bad news, we've had to fire Eric. <laughs> yeah. oh. I melt like a cartoon character from my chair onto the ground. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm sort of laughing. And, and just, but I, I kind of saved it to kind of go, is, hey, is he okay? Because, <laughs> you know, I am... Um, so, um, yeah, so Eric was fired, and they said, we, we've got this guy, um, Michael J. Fox, who's on a TV show, Family Ties, and, uh, and he's going to come on and, and redo all those parts of the movie. Wow. Did you have to reshoot everything, or did they keep stuff from the original? Like other there is, uh, this, is a, this is a good, uh, there's a big argument. I think because I think they would have to pay Eric Stoltz. I think, I, it's my belief that Eric Stoltz's fist punches me in the 50s cafe. Because I do not think that we reshot that because it was a close-up of me. Now, the editors and everyone out there who I think are interested in their skins or whatever, no, that's, that's not true. Right. Eric <laughs> never appears in the movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, look, I get punched in the face by somebody. I guess you want to sell it as it being a stuntman. But uh, I think it was Eric Stoltz, and I think his fist comes through and punches I'm me. I'm sure like face. in 84 85, they're like, what, were people going to have machines where they can just freeze frame things with perfect clarity? <laughs> never, no one's ever going to know. Look at that freckly fist. Yeah. So I, saw, he, I saw some of the... Oh, sorry, go ahead, No, Tom. go, you go. I was just going to say, I saw some of the footage of Eric Stoltz 
um, yeah, you know, I, the they, they put like it on the Blu-ray. Of of, you knew they were going to, because they're saying no one will ever see this. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, all this footage is going to be stored right next to the Lost Ark. I mean, it's <laughs> going to, and I'm like, they're gonna as soon as they can make money off it. You know, they go. He he, bar- he basically it looked like he was playing, the, and they think they even alluded to, or they may have just said, you know, he was playing it a little more. Uh, a little darker yeah. and a little more like not as fun and you know do you remember anything about his performance? It was a very different thing, a very different thing. Like too serious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what do you want me to say? I think uh, I think it was bad and uh, you there know you and, I, yeah. and he wasn't uh, friendly to me. So I don't <laughs> care. Uh, he was. I mean, Eric got fired a couple days before he was just going to get his head pounded in because in the scene in the cafeteria where he's pushing me. And Strickland comes up. Yeah. Like, Ted, hey, Ted. And I'm almost punching him in the face. He was pushing me so hard with his whole method thing. The method was very strong toward me. Right. You know? So Because you're the, you're the antagonist. Of course. So he was, I mean, he was driving the heels of his hands hard into my collarbones. Mm-hmm. I mean, really pushing me. And, uh, and I'm talking to him to, between takes, you know, early takes. Hey, uh. Hey, uh, Marty, quote unquote. <laughs> you're just really, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a movie. You know, we can just pretend. We take I mean, I will, I will move back. If you push me, like I'm jutting back. Right. So we'll be cool. But just like you're really, you're going to break my collarbone, man. And he pretends he really doesn't hear me because I'm not in the scene with him at that point. And take two. <laughs> Bam! Into my collarbones. And I'm starting, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, Eric, <laughs> this is a movie. It's only in pretend times when you're getting paid that you can push me like that and I don't punch you right in the face. So, you know, let's uh, chill out. Bam, I had huge bruises on my chest and my collarbones were killing me. So, you got like so many method actors like myself, I was like, well, live by the method, die by the method. In a couple of nights, I'm pulling you out of that car at the dance and we're going to see what happens then. Because we're gonna totally method this thing, out, baby. Yeah. So, um, so and then he got fired. So I never, uh, I never got to, uh, you, to do anything. Do you and wish? Do you think about it sometimes? No, I don't care. <laughs> and I, I imagine well, he's that the here t- right now. There Come on. on. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, you know, that's uh, that was that was the Eric thing. But Eric, I think, is a nice person and everything. He was. I just, mean, it was a long time ago. Everyone was young. Who knows what goes through people's minds when they're kids and they're. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any. You know. I don't have any deal about. I mean, I think of. I really, you know, for you guys because your friends or whatever. Sure, I mean, I'll talk about the movies, but it's not. Uh, it's really n- not nearly in my consciousness as much as it is in the kind of cultural. Well, it really is know? because, and and you know, um, uh, you know, a movie like that to to a bunch of kids growing, a bunch of nerdy kids. That was really our, you know, that that was one of those movies that's like. <gasps> It's it's sci-fi and it's right. a nerdy kid and he wins and it's amazing right. and you know it's and the only movie I've ever owned on Laserdisc, Betamax, VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. I mean, it's and I'll you, come act it out at your house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you know, I, and I and it feels like you 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 understand this, but part of the part of the you know part of all of the uh, what about the what about is just because that movie was one of those movies that you know that changed the direction of so many kids lives and was like oh, you th- yes i've been very gratified by that i mean i've look i brought a kid out of a coma in scotland what okay yeah 
Because months <laughs> later, yeah, I got an email from the family and everything, and the kid was in a terrible car accident that, that had fatalities. He was in a coma for weeks, and the dad finally said he's a huge Back to the Future fan. Just play the movie over and over and over and over. And he came to thinking, why does Biff keep yelling at me? <laughs> why does Biff keep yelling at me? So he literally opened his eyes, you know, I guess thinking I would be there or whatever. So uh, I'm not a doctor. No, but, but I have brought a young man, a Scottish boy, out of a coma. You're welcome, Scotland. Yeah. yeah. But I understand that. I think that, um, I think that it's a struggle. You know, it, it, look, it's not some big existential sure. problem for sure. people. But people would like to express something to me. Of how much that meant to them. Absolutely. Uh, and I try to express to them that I get what they're saying, but I don't think it's ever enough for them. You, you know? There's nothing you can say right. back to them that's right. going to be gratifying. Right. Because they need to somehow peek into my soul or something to say, Just call oh, me butthead. Yeah, Tom, please. God, that's the what they thing want. Yeah. That I was trying to say. Yep. And, and I'm just trying, and I'm saying that. Thank you very much. I yeah. appreciate that very much, and I know it's meant a lot to a lot of people, and it means a lot to me. You know, thank you. And there's some longing that they're going, I, that really wasn't enough. <laughs> right. It's because, it's because they feel like, um, you know, they, they want to, they want you to connect with them the way that they connected with this thing you did. Right. And, but there's no way it's that impossible. you can ever, yeah. I mean, it's cause it's so deep seated. Right. You can't ever, you can't ever fill that. You can't, you can't fill it. And Mark Hamill can't, and then nobody can. Right. Nobody can. Have, and now who, have you ever met, uh, who, who was, have you met like heroes and of yours that you, did you ever feel that the tables reversed? Oh, oh absolutely. All the time. I met, uh, I met the bass player, Stanley Clark. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was, I could barely speak. Now, nobody knows who Stanley Clark is, but I was a, kind of a the tuba player. Okay. I was like a jazz lower brass player and had bass players and everything. And Stanley Clark was a, an amazing kind of jazz fusion bass player. And I was, well, this is kind of exploding it, but I was a doorman at the comedy store in the early 80s. Oh, my God. And I was doing the door when Richard Pryor was sort of preparing all of his kind of live on the Sunset oh, Strip movies wow. and everything. So... Everyone was coming to the comedy store at that point. This is pre-comedy boom. This is 1981, 82. Right on the edge of it. Yeah. yeah, Richard Pryor was there every night. So everyone was coming to the comedy store. And, and it was fine. It was fun. And I'm calling my brother. Hey, you, Mick Jagger was on stage last night with a bunch of, I mean, you know, Mick, Mick Jagger or Willie Nelson or bands, you know, the, the kinks came and had a booth and there was so much um there was so much much fire of that improvisational comedy thing going on that whatever motley crew would come in and realize that they were you know they had long hair and they were a big rock band but they didn't do close to what comics were doing on stage right then right which was really free and and very very uh, uh, passionate and inspired so Make a long story short, everyone's coming there, and I. It was really neat to kind of meet Willie Nelson or loan Stephen Stills my guitar. You can make this long story long, by the way. I'm fascinated by <laughs> yeah. this. Well, you know, I, I was great to 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 lend Stephen Stills my guitar and let him play some songs or or Willie and all that stuff. And oddly for me, Stanley Clark walks up the steps, and I'm like. <laughs> Stanley Clark. <laughs> that was that was really one that I was uh, that I was really impressed with, and and you know of course stars. I met Jimmy Stewart, and of course uh, 
I meet Jimmy Stewart, and uh, Jim Carrey has a story much like this. You know, the, the, the star thing, and I've done exactly the same thing, that you're walking toward Jimmy Stewart, and your mind is screaming, don't gush. Yes. Don't embarrass yourself. Just say, Mr. Stewart, what a joy to meet you. You know, I'm such a fan, and I know everyone bothers you, and I'm sorry to bother you, but I just want to say, hey, I love you, you're the best, thank you. <clears throat> and I'm coming up, I get closer and closer, and of course, he turns to me, and I go, <laughs> Mr. Stewart, you were so inspiring to me. And I actually used Lee Marvin's performance in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance as my basis for Back to the Future 3, where I played Mad Dog Dan. Uh, every kind of thing. You know, we actually, before the first Back to the Future, Bob Zemeckis actually played us It's a Wonderful Life to see that kind of time travel sort of thing within a person's life. Uh, you know, so What's I, that now? Yeah, I load him, I just unload everything as my brain is saying, Shut up! Shut up! So I end it. Very gracious man that he is, he goes, well, great. <laughs> you know, I just, I'm, I'm a fool. And his wife was there, Gloria Stewart, who was, is used to, who was very accustomed to fools like me coming mm -hmm. up and just gushing. So she kind of came in and was very kind of gracious and talking to both of us. And it, it, it became a very nice moment. But of course, right after I had wrecked it. Well, no, it's, it's, it's just hard because it's, you know, it's, you know, the, 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 those people and those things that that kind of define who we are it's just it's just too deep down to not like when that starts bubbling to the I mean you keep it down most of the time but then it starts bubbling to the surface I had that with Steve Martin years ago and I, never I, met him. I, I, I actually that, I, I was in that college up. and Steve Martin used me in the crowd he sort of worked me I was in the third row when he was doing the big arena stuff yeah and he picks out somebody in the audience. he picked me out I was a huge fan he stood me up he made fun of me I, I thought I could die that day. Wow. I mean, oh, at the end, amazing. he's making fun. Everyone's laughing at me. At the end, he says, uh, sorry, Tom, just having a little fun at your expense. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. Let me just rise to heaven in a sea of Steve Martin-esque bubbles. Um, but I've never, I've never met him. Um, I, I would love to, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't gush because from you know what I hear from everybody, just yeah, don't do that to him. It just like just it, yeah, it immediately what would it have it, like yeah. like in Batman in in the Tim Burton Batman where the car just like boom, shields like he just immediately. But I do you know as we said, look, I do the same thing. I, yeah. I don't I don't uh, I don't think I brush people off or whatever. But at one point in it, early on when it's getting bigger and you know Back to the Future, you do Back to the Future and it comes out, you think wow, it's great. And everyone's saying it's great. It's you know, whatever cover of Time magazine. Wow, it's, it's unbelievable. Then it gets bigger, and it's not going down. It was in theaters for over a year. Yeah. So you know, it's getting so huge. I saw it six times in right. the theater. So it gets so big that you're just like, run, everybody! It's going to kill us all. <laughs> so you f have to figure out early how am I going to deal with this? You know, and and it is building. So, so, uh, a Teflon exoskeleton yeah. that just kind of... Uh, so you can't really uh, get there, get get into me sure. at an airport right? when you're just screaming butthead at me. Yeah. I I, honestly, <laughs> I, I swear. I mean, I've been... It's like for whatever, 26 years now, I don't know how to respond. Yeah. I don't know what they want me to say. Yeah. I just... Butthead! Yep. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> But, they, just, they, just, they just want to fire a little Spider-Man web at your face and just like go, hey, I know you're there and there's nothing you can. So I can't. So uh, I don't uh, respectfully speaking like your thing. I don't think that people um, realize how unbelievably ubiquitous it is mm -hmm. in every room you walk into mm -hmm. in e everywhere. 
you know, the policeman who stops you or the doctor who's examining you or whatever, yeah. anything. Uh, it's, it's, it's just everywhere. So that, you just have weird to, to deal with is it. Is that weird to be you're examined by the doctor? Maybe he's grabbing your balls and telling you to cough. And you're like, you know, I really loved back to then. You're like, ah, this is really awkward. Almost. <laughs> almost. Yeah. V- very close. Very yeah. close. I mean, for, so for you, that's pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much your first movie. Right, you said yeah. you did a kung fu movie. Right? I was killed in, in uh, Ninja Turf. Yeah. Okay, so you're killed in Ninja Turf. So it's, it's your it's your second big movie. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, does that that must do weird things to your mind because it sort of teaches you like, oh yeah, you can just get a big movie. You just get a big movie. Or did or do you do you feel like you were just weirdly superstitious about it? Like, oh no, this isn't supposed to happen. Or I was um, I wasn't at all a, 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 an egotist or anything. Mm-hmm. But when I came to L.A., it was because I thought I was good. Right. You know, so I didn't think I'm better than everyone who was on Back to the Future or I'm better than anyone else doing other movies at that time. You know, whoever, Judge Reinhold or the mm-hmm. guys who I was seeing at auditions or Bill Paxton or Tim Robbins. But in doing a, a movie like Back to the Future and the movies that I did after that, I did think I belong here. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's throwing me out. Like yeah. I'm sort of at the top of the mountain of professional people doing what they do. Yeah. And um, I'm right here with everybody, just swinging, you know? So, so, so that's what I thought. So after that movie, yeah, I just thought I was, uh, you know, I was proud of what I did, still am. Yeah. And uh, just went on to do stuff. It is funny that... Um and and this this always this this happens in in a performer's life. It's like you never. It, I feel like it's rare you really get to choose what the thing is going to be that everyone's you know because everyone everyone has to. There's so much information, so everyone has to categorize every person. And they're like, okay, you're that guy, and you're this guy, and Jim Gaffigan's the hot pockets guy, right. and, and he's just like, fuck, that's just a bit. Like right. I didn't. It wasn't anything extra to, to me. I it was yeah. just a thing I wrote, and that's the thing that caught on. I didn't plan that. It it actually I um. For a while, it seemed like a great thing. And then for a longer period of time, it seemed like a horrible thing. And then, you know, it's a long time ago now when I was going through the processes Mm -hmm. that we go through in our lives. Um, And then I think ultimately it was very healthy because it forced me because everywhere I went, people were just yelling stuff and that's all they saw of me. So what it did was force me to go inside myself to be very satisfied with mm-hmm. the person and artist that I am. Yeah. Like I was a comic. So not a lot that people said about me mattered to me very much. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I got that from high school getting beat up by bullies and everything that I was always an outsider. So I had a pretty good thing about, I, I don't care what people say, but once people are just saying, um, Whatever. I mean, you've done, you, you know, I did a lot of movies, but, but is that the only thing that you did? <laughs> Was that it? Did it end after? Th- so you have to go inside yourself to go, look, I, I, don't, I honestly don't care what anybody says. I'm cool with me, with the person I am, with the, with the artistic uh, pursuits that I've made. And, uh, you know, I don't care. If I, you want to, you know, I, I know, look, it's going to be the first line on my obituary, but I won't be there reading it, so I don't care. It is almost like a weird, it's almost like a weird, like, Faustian Claus or a Twilight Zone episode where it's like, I want to be a famous actor. And they go, ding. And then just for, you know, every day of your life, it's just that one thing. And I don't think, I don't think most people can really appreciate that, I mean, yes, of course, you know, some people are like, hey, shut the fuck up, you know, you're in a big famous movie, and it's like, yeah, but 
But every day, every fucking day, after a while, gets a little grating. And then for people to ask you, I kind of snap. I didn't snap, but I was at a, I was at PAX, this this uh, game convention, and this dude come up and he was like, "Dude, I love singled out." And I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." And he was like, "Whatever happened to you after that?" And I'm like, "I'm on like five things. <laughs> right. What are you talking about? Right. You just can't. You can't go around carrying your laptop with your IMDb page I or know. something. Or they tell you to list. They're like, "Oh, so what else? What have you done?" And you're like, "Why do I don't want to list my thing? It's, I, I'm going to sound like a piece of shit." Yeah, you can't list them. I just go. The internet has a lot of stuff about me. <laughs> and in fact, let me let me get off mic for a second. I know it's I know it's visual. And not and we're uh, and we're audio here, but this I actually had this made, which is uh, you know the postcard that people get <laughs> that I can sign for people and just they're like, well, give me a thing, give me a napkin, give me well, I have a thing, yeah. and so it's my face and I sign it, but on the back is uh, every possible <laughs> Back to the Future question. That's an answer. FAQ on the back of your card. Right. Oh so God. it just... Uh, That's awesome. So it's just... It just uh, you know, I hand it to them. I go, look, this is just a nice time saver that I figured out. So, you know, don't be insulted. But it's sort of saying, like, I've heard it before. And, you know, we're cool. So here's the That's thing, amazing. and it answers all the questions. I just got, uh, I'm Tom Wilson. I was in all three Back to the Future movies. Michael J. Fox is nice. I'm not in close contact with him. Christopher Lloyd is nice. He's a very shy man. Crispin Glover is unusual, but not as unusual as he sometimes presents himself. We got along nicely. <laughs> Leah Thompson is nice. Eric Stoltz originally played Marty, but was fired due to performance issues. The first movie was just shot in 1984 and 85. Should we redo the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this is oh and and th- that was only just that's the first. Awesome. That's the first third of it. This is it, just going down. The third movie was my favorite since I got to learn Western skills like writing, roofing. This is <laughs> right. Uh, I lost my place. I was laughing too hard. I lost my place. Uh, there are many tiny, there are many tiny plot points hidden in the movies. Okay, blah, but I don't blah, know blah. what they are. <laughs> Uh, oh, Six Shooter, a great adventure for a guy from Philadelphia. <laughs> I hold my co-workers in the best light, but have no idea what any of them are doing. <laughs> There's Ninja Turf. Love is, more <laughs> Love is more important than material possessions. I made less money than you think. I don't talk about the movies much because I'm busy with stand-up comedy, music, and performance. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You can contact me, TomWilsonUSA.com. Oh yeah, I, I heard. It. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That is that is right. that is absolutely amazing. But they, and I don't mean it rudely. No, I actually mean this it is like helpful. This, will, this is helpful to you. It's helpful to me. I'm perfectly willing to talk about other things, you know. But I just, you know, I've I've been there, so that's okay. What do you think? Hey. What sports teams do you like? Or what? whatever. Among you know? many improvisations on the set, I coined the terms butthead as well as make like a tree and get out of here. <laughs> that's so fucking funny. This is genius, Tom. This is genius. And do people take it pretty well when you give it to them? They're like, oh, oh yeah. thanks. They're like, oh, cool. Yeah. They, and then, as, yeah, if I, I have to make a lot of them now because if you give it to one person, then suddenly... Hey, okay, can I have one of those? Sure, absolutely. Take them. Can I? Can I publish? Can I put this on the website? Can Please. I put the the FAQ, the absolutely. Tom Wilson FAQ, absolutely. on the Nerdist? Site? And that's great. I mean, how often do you run into a celebrity and say, "Oh, hi, it's, it's really cool to meet you"? And then, like, all you really can walk away with is the story of meeting them. You give them a keepsake, which is more than. And I think many Steve Martin people. wouldn't for a while. Steve Martin would give people a card that yeah. said, "This certifies that I met Steve Martin." Yes, yeah. something. Yeah. He was a wonderful and kind yeah. man. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. something like that. It's like it's, if someone asked for an autograph, that's what he yeah. would do. But it's uh, yeah, but I. I realize how big the Back to the Future things are, yeah. and I've been on sets with kind of whatever Academy Award-winning actors, and I'm the I'm like practically the pizza delivery guy. Okay, you know mm-hmm. I'm working for three days, and they say, "Can I talk to you for a minute?" I, <laughs> what I, I'm just pizza delivery guy. Can I? Yeah. Uh, listen, 
my nephew Justin is a huge <laughs> fan. Could you like give him some stuff, equipment? Do you have anything? Dude, did you keep you anything? Do you have yeah? Give him a hoverboard. Yeah. Hey, uh, the, the emails that I've received that's so funny. That really is I love you. I think you're magnificent. You're the best thing that's ever been. Do you have any equipment that you took from the set? <laughs> what sure, I'll just I'll, I, yeah, of course. Then yeah. I'll just give that because Universal just didn't mind every day. Uh, yeah. um, By the third movie, it was so like I had no pants left. Everyone like people were ripping stuff off just left and right. Wow. Not me, but you know, they would yeah. say, Yeah, please be careful with these, Tom. We only have one pair left. One pair. Right. We fitted the we still have eighty yeah, well, they're just disappearing. Jeez. So, well, uh, I'm gonna post this FAQ on the site so people can. I mean, it's really an FAQ biography. It's it's perfect. This is perfect. Um, but I, I'm. But still, I have to say, in the back of my head, I can't stop thinking about you working the door at the comedy store in the seventy in the seventies and eighties and watching Richard Pryor work. At, and then just the comic. Who were some of the other comics at the time that were that you were that you were seeing? Uh, I was seeing Jay Leno all the time. Uh, Bob Saget, all the time. Is that Kennison there uh, yet? Kinnison was there. Kinnison and I were sort of in warring factions. It was, you know, Sam and I, we got a, well, it's how much time do we have? We've yeah. got all the time you want, Tom Wilson. <laughs> Tom, Sam, uh, Sam and I, uh, I freely admit, didn't get along. And, and I, I'm one who, uh, uh, who hopes that he is well, wherever he might be. Mm-hmm. So I, I, but we didn't get along. <laughs> was, uh, Sam would take us. You know, Sam was there, and Sam had a, a coven of uh, of people that I called the Kinnison Youth, that were just <laughs> kind of droopy, lidded, uh, junky kind of people, with that I thought were sort of wasting their lives and not very bright. So, yeah, Sam, if you were a new comedian around there, he had this very, uh, very uh, coy, sing song way of kind of getting into your inner circle or into your head. Hey, man, you're really having monster sets up there, man. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I'm, yeah, cool. Well, I just, you know, we're getting together at this place, and I just wonder. And, you know, I kind of sensed that it was just recruiting for, right. the, for the club. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, have a good time. I'm, you know, I just do shows here and stuff. I'm just doing shows and whatever. I lived in a house with uh, Andrew Dice Clay and Yakov oh, wow. Smirnoff. Oh, my God. Oh, was that the house up? Uh- like yeah, a, Mitzi's house. Yeah, I was yeah. up renting a room at Crest oh Hill, that, that house up the hill. So we were like the early group. There was a lot of unbelievable debauchery that happened after we left. But believe it or not, uh, Yakov and Andrew and myself were, you know, basically clean living guys who were just doing shows. Right. You know, who were in a house. And Sam was trying to get up there to make it the lair. And we kind of, uh, we sort of threw him out for, you know, bad lifestyle yeah. decisions and so there was a lot of resentment with that so i didn't voluntarily enter his coven right and he got kind of he was trying to move into the house and we were going dude that's that's not happening so we we kind of uh we didn't get along oh, like an early episode of last comic standing <laughs> yeah it was people were talking about that you know they would come up to this house and go man this is this should be a tv show or something it's crazy but yeah sam and i it finally came to a head he was you know he was doing uh like i said to me quite unwise things with one's life yeah and uh, and it's and it's it's insane to me that he he died in a car accident and that yeah. that that the, the, that it wasn't the drugs i don't know man i you know, it sound it 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 really sounds judgmental and bad, and I I really kind of mean it charitably. I know so many guys who are dead now, and so many of them 
you just knew it was going to happen. Right. Not even from drugs. It was just like he just doesn't want to be here. You can't want to be here and keep doing this stuff. Didn't you see the film strip in sixth grade? I mean, I know <laughs> people have problems in their lives. I know that. I know. And but I know there's... people make decisions. But really, it's, it's back to maybe the nerd thing is ultimately, is it just that I'm smarter than you? Did I just say that I just see the film strip and go, well, that's that's yeah, that looks pretty stupid to me. So I guess I won't do that. You know what it is? It's it's there's this there's this very weird, weird thing. And, you know, I, I put a lot of I put a lot of comedians in the nerd camp because they're very, uh, you know, very hyper aware and, and, you know, they're uh, hyper dissect everything. And I think, you know, a lot of comedians uh, and and I I had it I have it and I had it too which is it's just self destructive it's a self destructive thing because you um, you almost as much as you hate when shitty things happen some people cannot emotionally wrap their minds around anything good happening and when it does they feel like they have to tear it down to get back to the sort of weird shitty comfort zone that they were in before and I, I think well, maybe of that's course. some and of for it Freddie Prince I mean before him and all the way down to. Uh, to so many guys, uh, the, uh, you know, it's it's a cliche now, but you you get a lot of money and you go, wait a minute, I'm the same guy with a nice car. Yeah. Ultimately, that's it. Right. I just can afford more snack foods. No weird transformation is right. going to happen. I thought I would be king. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So Sam got into it with me. We got <laughs> well, it was very uh, we had a big, big fight backstage at the main room. That he didn't was, seem like he was in that great a shape. I think <laughs> he wasn't, but he had a lot of people around. Oh, him. sure. He had guys with him and Carla Bove and Fred Asparagus and many, many kind of hanger on people. Yeah. That were, uh, that were with him. But he, uh, we, we, <laughs> Brian Bradley, who was, uh, he was emceeing the main room stage and he comes up to me and says, Hey Tom, we got a, uh, we, we've given Sam the light for about 20 minutes and he has to get <laughs> off stage. So listen, we're going to turn off the mic. And just like turn off the lights or whatever it needs to be done. He needs, he has to get off stage because mm -hmm. there are other guys and he's doing this every week. So would you, he says, would you just stand next to me so he doesn't punch me? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, because the last time I said, hey man, you're doing a lot of time. He said, well, you know, he broke a guy's legs in Texas or whatever. And I. Was he big at this point? Was this before the ninth annual Young Comedian special that kind of broke him or was this at? He was, he was getting, he was getting big at that point, but yeah, he was not famous at that time. So he was just he a got, crazy, kind of yeah, a crazy person. He, he actually, yeah, the, the story goes, and I, I wasn't there that night, but that, that uh, Argus Hamilton, the comic, was choking Mitzi Shure out in her office and Sam was going up the stairs in order to make a phone call or whatever. And he heard kind of choking, squeaking, shrieking kind of things from the office, mm. broke into the office, knocked Argus off Mitzi. But I do know from that point on, Sam got the ace spot in the main room mm -hmm. every night. From, from the two in the morning guy screaming at eight people yeah. ah, ah, to main room, baby. Wow. You know, wow. 400 people to do your thing. And, you know, and he, he could do no wrong with her except go really long. Right. So anyway, to make a boring story short, I just stood there and I was like, I guess to Sam, I represented, you know, a box of Wheaties with an American flag <laughs> fluttering behind <laughs> it. You know, something. I, you know, it's not like I was like that, but just he, you know, he yeah. really, I had said no to the coven thing. I said, you know, I'm just doing my thing. And so he, he kind of took it out on me and I, and we got into a big thing, but you know, it was one of those, it, it became comedy folklore because a lot of comedians were backstage. 
yeah. for it, where he started going, don't get in my face, Wilson. I'm going to say, look, hey, Sam, I'm not, you know, we're just saying, you're doing an hour, man. Come on. Everybody gets a 20. You could do 25. Right. Just, don't get in my face. And I'm saying, well, you know, if it's a question of being in your face or not, I'm not, you know, I, fine. Let's say I'm in your face. Right. I, you know, does something happen or what? You know? <laughs> and, and then he actually, and then people, uh, people are witness to this. Then he kind of turned beet red. His face started shaking. And he said, don't unleash me. <laughs> 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 Do you have a response to that? I or like swear. I don't. Uh... It was like what? Don't unleash me. I don't... And I just go, dude, you're unleashed. <laughs> what happens now? I unleash you. I'm in your face. Either something happens now, or you walk away. I'm standing right here. Unleash. Unleash. <sighs> go for it. And so yeah, he started throwing chairs and left. So that was the big. You know how comedy is. Yeah. And that became the thing that years later, I'm doing Letterman. And, you know, and Letterman leads in the commercial break. You're like, hey, what's the deal with you and Kinnison, man? Oh, wow. I heard about that thing in the main room. So, you know, it, it went everywhere. But it was, it was uh, a tempest in a teapot. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a big deal. But we were of warring factions. Sam and his coven of followers and me. Yeah. The vampires and the werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what, was the, what was the comedy scene like? I mean, like when people actually were going out to see club comedy in Los Angeles. I mean, was it? Have you been out to a clubs re- recently in Los Angeles? Sure. I mean, like, I mean, like, in other words, have you been to the comedy store? I guess is what I'm asking. I've been really. to the comedy store in, in, in ages, years right? Years now. So yeah, it was I, sort of like as you know, I was just there. As soon as I have two nickels to rub together, goodbye. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So I haven't been back in. In a long, long, long time. Was it? Was it really? Was it kind of? Did you see the golden age of club comedy blossom? Oh, sure, and absolutely. You... It was. It was. Yes. It was. You know, I'm not the guy in my electric wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you about the age when comedians were actually respected. What? <laughs> That's crazy, yes, Grandpa. Uh, there was a very small window of time where people actually honored and respected. Sorry, what I'm, we I'm did. tweeting. I'm sorry, Grandpa. I'm tweeting. I'm sorry. I can't hear you on my Facebook. Um, but it was uh, the comedy store main room has over 400 seats. Yeah. And there were two packed shows on Friday and two packed shows on Saturday. Uh, the original room has some, you know, 250, 300, I don't know, next to it, it was packed. The main room is, is an, a fucking awesome theater. That is a well, it was Ciro's. comedy space. Ciro's was the biggest nightclub in Hollywood during like the 40s and 50s where Clark Gable would go out with, with, with actresses and everything with their mink stoles and, oh, yeah. and see Frank Sinatra All the gangster or, ghosts apparently still haunt well, the comedy exactly, store. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. So, um, so it was a big nightclub. So it is one of those big old. T- I mean, there are YouTube videos that people took on old old movies of you know juggling acts in 1947 at Ciro's wow. mm-hmm. on YouTube and stuff. So um, it's amazing they had the foresight to put it on YouTube back then. It yeah, really is amazing. Really that is yeah. that's how that's how ahead of its time Ciro's yeah. was. Well, thanks to the Some... 16 millimeter YouTube share button. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well played. Exactly. Yeah, but that it, is a gorgeous it was a big space. room, and it was very. Uh, it was uh, yeah, it was it was great to work that room. Did you? Were, did, who were some of the comics that you really were like? Oh my god, yeah, that guy, that guy. Every time they came into the room, you had to kind of sneak in and and watch their sets. Well, certainly everyone gathered at the back wall to watch Richard Pryor. Right. Every show because he was the most amazing comedian. That I never, I never seen. got to see him live. What was that? What was that like? It was. Um, it was. 
an artist, but a working man going to work. Mm -hmm. He would come and he's getting ready to do one of his movies. And he would come and the first night was almost nonsensical stream of consciousness talking. Mm -hmm. You know, you would bring him up. I brought him up a million times if I was emceeing that night. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the world-famous comedy store, and we have a treat tonight. Let, please welcome Richard Pryor. And everyone laughs like he must be joking. <laughs> and then Richard Pryor walks through. Oh! Everyone <laughs> yeah. goes crazy. And then uh, he would just start talking, and even Richard Pryor would get, let's say, Richard Pryor would get eight minutes of coasting. Mm -hmm. No matter what you say, we're into it, and we're into you. And then the audience, though, at that point, like I said, the audience had respect for him. So I think almost as a unit, like a group psychology, that, oh, he's working on ideas. Right. So everyone would quiet down and allow him to work, to try to put things together on stage. To try, and they were taping every show, and he would go up into the belly room or to, with, with Paul Mooney, and with a couple of other, uh, of other friends of his and a couple of bodyguards, and they would hone what was funny there, what, what was in there that was good. Well, the thing where you went to Africa or whatever, you know, you have to tell that wow. story about this. And I'll tell you, the next show was a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And the next show was a little bit better than that. And it's like he was planing a piece of wood, yeah, you know, or something. Like he was making an arrow, and just every show, just taking a strip of wood off it, and you're just, and at the halfway point, comics are thinking, dude, this guy's in another league, man. Yeah. This is really something. And in, you know, in a matter of months, it's an hour and 15 minutes crushing. Yeah. Crushing. And he would make a movie or do something, and they go off. And then, then you wouldn't see him for a while. I saw Chappelle do that. at I opened for Chappelle a bunch in, or for a week in um, San Francisco at the Punchline. And it wasn't – I don't really know Dave. I just – I was supposed to be headlining, and then, you know, they were like, oh, Dave wants to stick around and do shows. And I'm like, well, whatever he wants. <laughs> and I watched that same exact thing. He would start out at the beginning of the week just kind of riffing around and fucking around, and then – Night two, you'd start to see that it's like a lava lamp. You'd start to see these blobs take shape. And then the next night, it would become a, a, like a, a tangible object. And then he'd put little bells and whistles on yep. it. And then by the end of the week, it was like, oh, my God. I just fucking watched yeah. a classic bit yep. form in a, the span of four days. And, I, you know, I give uh, Rich Pratt even more credit <sighs> that I, I, was, I was there a night in the original room where he was having a really hard time. He wasn't putting his ideas together well. And he was, he actually, it took so long that he was actually kind of doing badly. Mm -hmm. And people sensed it. And he's kind of sweating. And he's looking in the lights. And everyone's doing that in the silence. We love you, Richard. Yeah, man, whatever. He's joking to the guy. And he says, uh, you're going to have to excuse me. Uh, this is the first time I ever performed straight. Whoa. Oh. So, of course, everyone's clapping. Yeah, we love you, man. Well, yeah, go, go, Richard, go, Richard. But he took it and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this straight. And he did it. He did it. Wow. You know? Did that... But, but the, he had a heart. You know, but yeah. it, was, it was an adjustment period for, wow, how do I approach this thinking completely clearly, which he just wasn't used to. Yeah. 
but he was such a he, it was so amazing to and when you I mean I, I'm you know I'm a I'm a total dork when it comes to the evolution of comedy and why what, what, you know and so when you watch guy and then there's just you know there's a handful of people that I think back that really that really popped as like oh no they were talking about real shit that they were going through and not just trying to make the audience laugh and it really and, it, and you know and that guy that that whole i don't think it was i, mean, I can't remember if it was live on the sunset trip maybe it was the next special where he talked about catching like doing the drugs and you know and catching and, on and fire, catching on fire. And the street yeah and whatever. having a heart attack mm-hmm. and, and and all that stuff yeah. yeah it was it was just a different it was just a, a you could sense like yeah there's really something going on there right. other than uh you know hey sock hangers are small yeah, absolutely. But there were, but at that time, nobody, you know, everyone knew what what comedy was. But stand up was a million different things. Yeah, it was a million different things because the the, the culture didn't lock on to the brick wall behind the guy with the microphone, mm-hmm. which happened. With, but I mean, you know, evening at the Improv and every kind of comedy Caroline's show, comedy hour, Caroline, yeah. all those shows come up and comedy becomes. Oh, okay. You you do you stand in front of a brick wall with a microphone and you talk about that. That's stuff. just that, and that, and that was just the flavor of televised comedy. You have to do short, you know, to cram a bunch of comics, and you do short five minute sets. You know, you don't. Re- that's rare. You don't really get to. Only a handful of people get to do hour specials, and people but really get a sense of who they are. As you know, though, if you're going to be that guy who's going up on stage and saying, "This is really my authentic life, mm-hmm. and I want to share it with you." You need a lot of people who are willing to listen to you. Yeah. You need a lot of people who are going, yeah, man, I'm here for you, and I'm willing to listen to where you lead me. And increasingly, I I think that's pretty tough. Yeah. I think that's pretty tough. So back then, there was Richard Pryor, and there were guys like that, but there were all kinds of... There were were just musical acts and impressionists. Well, Yakov. Yakov Yakov Smirnoff was just, you know, here's this kind of like one-dimensional thing. It's easy to digest, you know? It's it's like, it was relevant because of what was going on politically in the world at the time. But he was making money. I mean, Yakov was from Russia. Yeah. He was doing a thing that was making money. Yeah. For him, that was like, he beat the system. Right. Right? He figured out a way to just make a lot of money. Now, do you feel do you think a guy like Yakov who, you know, just like uh, us being in America, we're just like, yeah, we're just regular like white guys. We have to come up with whatever it is our thing is, you know, but Yakov, he's Russian. He automatically has a hook. Right. Automatically. He's a Russian guy. Yeah. So do, did you ever feel like, ah, fuck, I wish I had a thing and I, oh, you know. Oh, sure. A- absolutely. I played for the first number of years that I was ever doing stand-up, I played the tuba in my act. <laughs> I played the tuba in my act. Now, now, you know, I took a lot of heat for that. You know, I was like the tuba guy. Jay Leno, if he sees me now, just for, as a joke from like 1983, hey, where's your tuba? You know, well, Jay, I haven't played one in 30 hey, jokes, years. Uh, hey, the- Jay, where's your edgy comedy? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that from 1983? <laughs> you can fire back but, but at that I if you want. Tuba because, because of that. Because you're like, what, 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 what can I do that will just have them say, oh, that guy. Right. Not just another big guy just going, Jesus, weird, huh? A lot of different varieties. What's that about? Um, it's almost the shortcut. You know, you, you almost wish there was the shortcut. When I started in when I started working in the business, you know, I had a manager who was like, you need to figure out what your th- hook is. And I'm like, I don't know. Do I wear big ties? Or do, and it's like, no, you know, like ultimately there aren't shortcuts. And, you know, but those guys are based, I think, on 
what sitcom would Chris be good in? Right, of and course. And Chris might want to say, this is what I want to do. Yeah, it's not interesting enough. You need to have a... Right, yeah. this is me. This is what I think is funny. Fortunately, a lot of people think it's funny. <laughs> it's going well. Yeah, but really, ultimately, isn't you it? You need to wear airplanes on all your clothes. Right. What? Why? Well, because that's the thing. That's in, uh... Yeah, because we want to pitch you for It's Chris. Right. He's a kind of nerdy guy with a five-day beard. It's Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, directed Perpetually. by Can I write that what down? Are, yeah. It's Chris's you know, <laughs> film before a live studio okay. audience. Wardrobe by Botany 500. But, uh, but that's what, and I'm not complaining. Hey, man, I, I, was, uh, I was doing pilots or whatever, but, uh, you know, stand-up became a lot of that. A lot of, like, what can I, what, what shiny objects can I dangle on stage to some network guy right. that will take me in, pay me some money, Wreck whatever freshness I had on stage, <laughs> put it up for an episode, and just then I had to take back the Corvette. Do you, do you, do you, <laughs> the difference between, you know, uh, starting a comedy now versus starting a comedy then, you know, now it's like, ah, young comics almost have to be fucking marketers. You know, did you feel any sense of that back then? Like pre internet comedy? Comics thought, um, uh, Vic Dunlop was a wonderful comedian who passed away a couple weeks ago, and we were at his funeral, a bunch, uh, bunch of comics who knew Vic, and Vic in, say, 1981, at the end of the show, Vic did a thing with plastic eyeballs. Oh, sure, That yeah. he would put in his head. Oh, yeah. And they were kooky eyeballs that you would get in that Johnson Smith catalog or whatever, look, a major, and it looked like you were all caffeinated out and everything, and it was just a joke thing. Well, Vic did a, a rather lengthy bit with these plastic eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Hey, can you imagine that going to work like this? Oh, I'm a little caffeinated, whatever. At the end of his show, Vic sold the eyeballs. Oh, the wow. plastic eyeballs. For five bucks at the end of the show, he would say, and I've got these eyeballs if anyone wants to bet. Now, everyone thought, are you crazy? Marketing, you know, selling junk at the end of your show? How was that? You know, and Vic was right. And now every guy was Vic the bald, is, bald guy. No, Vic had a big mop of curly black hair. Vic was on Make Me Laugh a lot. Oh, okay. God, I don't know why. I feel like a here. I just said like I'm a big comedy director, and I can't picture Vic Dunlop Vic in my was head. A, a wonderfully sweet guy, and he worked a, a very long time. And he's you know he's really I mean compared to me, Vic was really old school, really old school. But uh, yeah, but that was, was it. Lick. Nobody. I didn't. I wasn't thinking of marketing. I, I'm the last guy to sell DVDs at the end of a show. I was, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I was using a tuba and doing many crowd pleasy things, but I really was still that actor kid from New York. And look, I'm doing a performance, okay? At the end of performance, I'm happy to meet people, but I'm not going to be out there at some table like get your T-shirt and bumper sticker. It feels it feels it. weird too. It also, and I always feel weird about that stuff because I feel like people just spent a shitload of money. I mean, there's some people who are like, hey, fuck them, you know, if they want to give you your money. And I always feel like, you know, people. I mean, I've just now gotten okay with the idea of selling t- like Nerdist right. T-shirts at shows, sure. but I always just feel like, hey, you don't have to. But the fact Fact is, they want it. I guess they do want it, and they like it, I and they just like feel bad. You. Like you and guys I just mean, spend a ton of money to go see the show I, and drinks, I don't, and I don't you know, know, I don't have a big cardboard cutout of myself with springs that are bouncing right. back and forth. I don't do bumper sticker. Every everyone's a y'all go. You should do a T-shirt. Like, what are you looking at, butthead? And on the back of that, dude, it'll never 
ever happen. Right. You know, oh, you should charge money because this guy or that guy just 10 bucks to take a picture. And then you, I'm never happening. Yeah. I take a picture with everybody. I meet everybody because it was nice of them actually to come out and yeah. see me and say hi. And if you want a DVD of the show, that's a comedy special that I did. Sure. I'll, you could buy, I'll sign it for you, whatever. But it's, to, you know, it's totally free to meet me and say hi. Yeah. You know. Well, we're almost at the end what? of the... I know. I'm only... Okay. We're, we can put in another... <laughs> no, fine. We're in an That's antiquated great. facility right now that, that, that we have to burn everything onto CD, compact disc, and it only runs 80 minutes, and what? we're at 7522. I can it's, put in more. No, we're good, buddy. I, but we're I also, also want to <laughs> say that I... <laughs> I still, just going throughout my day a lot of the time, I still kind of go to myself sometimes, stop asking me the question. It's never, it yeah. never leaves my head. Like, even, and I'm not, and I'm not, even if I'm not doing anything Tom Wilson related, I'm just walking, oh. driving, it just, it just sticks. Okay, that is an amazing I didn't, I didn't earworm. Bring my guitar, but uh, okay. When I'm flying in a plane or I'm on the street, there's a lot of friendly people that I like to meet. They shake my hand but never ask my name, and they start asking questions that are always the same. Hey, what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. What's Christopher Lloyd like? Kinda quiet. What's Crispin Glover like? Unusual. Stop <laughs> asking me the questions. I went to the bar mitzvah of my nephew Josh. Now I'm not Jewish, but I like to nosh. Put on my yarmulke, started to pray. When the rabbi leaned over and I heard him say, Hey, was that real manure? No, it wasn't. How was that DeLorean? A piece of garbage. Do those hoverboards really fly? It's a movie. Stop asking me the question. Uh, there's more, but I'll look. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I made my day. Now, now people are going to go and be like, do the stop asking me the question <laughs> right. song. It's catchy. It's it really a is. fucking great really song. Is. Tom Wilson, you're uh, fantastic, and it was so it's so nice to see you. And every time, I, even though I don't know you that well, every time I see you, it's always really nice. Like, I like Tom. We should hang out. We should go to lunch afterwards. Let's do. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Tom Wilson, USA. Is your website? And I'm, I'm doing my own low, low, low budget podcast. Could I? Could I just pitch that? Please, big, big pop fun. I'm calling it. Oh, that's like fantastic! A, a pop sensibility. So it's big pop fun. I'm doing that, and I wrote a book. That's uh, that uh, I'm. That's apparently unpublishable, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> but I'm going to do it, and that's called the Masked Man. That's uh, that's coming out soon. That's fantastic. and so your podcast is up now, and people can get it on the yeah, iTunes. Absolutely fantastic on the iTunes. On the iTunes. Yeah, on the, well, in- the uh, on the iTunes, in- yeah. on that uh, on the internet tunes. <laughs> Put that in your podcast. Can I get that on the yeah. internet tunes? Eh? Uh, thank you so much for Thanks, coming guys. on, Tom. I appreciate it. Thanks thank for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Uh. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.